the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. He will return, and He will put an end to this battle, and He will display His power and His glory for all to see, which is how Ezekiel 38 ends. And I'll just recite it again. Ezekiel 38 verse 23 ends with this. Thus, God says, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. Amen and amen. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel. God promises the people of Israel protection in times of trouble and defense against her enemies. Today, Pastor Gary takes you to the book of Ezekiel to look at what God shows this prophet about the future of his nation and the end times. You see that nations will wage war against Israel, and no other nation will come to her defense. You will also see that Israel has no need for defense, because the Lord promises to stand by his nation and protect her to bring glory to himself and to be known by many nations. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, as he continues his message, Israel and the End Times. So Gog is an individual, and Gog is literally a title, meaning either czar or prince, and he is the prince over a region that is called Magog, also there in your Bibles in verse 2, and circle the word Magog. Now, the ancient historians Josephus, Pliny, and Herodotus all said that the ancient land of Magog was the ancient land of the Scythians. And the ancient land of the Scythians was north of the Black and Caspian Seas. So there's great unanimity on the fact that the territory of Magog is Russia, is Russia in modern terms. Furthermore, Meshach and Tubal are mentioned there as part of the territory of Magog. Meshach is thought to be, by most Bible scholars, Moscow. And Tubal is believed to be a town called Tobolsk. Tobolsk is in west-central Russia, and used to be the Siberian oil capital. So all of these things put together, Gog, meaning czar or prince, Magog, the land of the Scythians, today Russia, 
perhaps Moscow to Balsk. All of this is pointing to Russia. They are the lead military force in this campaign against Israel. And joining Russia in this confederation are five other nations. And the first on the list in verse 5 is none other than the second most prominent country mentioned in the news today, which is, as I mentioned, Iran. Now, Iran is listed here by its ancient name, Persia, in verse 5. Do you see that? Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya. So the primary country joining Russia is Persia. Up until 1935, Iran was always named Persia. It was only since 1935 that Persia has been now since called Iran. Until the Islamic Revolution of 1979, Iran was actually an ally of the United States and Israel. Prior to 1979, the Shah of Iran was selling oil to Israel. But the Islamic Revolution changed all that. And now as a result, they're not an ally. They are a hostile adversary in the Middle East region, in the Far East region, and they need to be recognized as such. And Today, we are seeing a Russian-Iranian alliance that has never existed before like it does now. And we're seeing biblical prophecy fulfilled in our own day. So here's, for example, just a picture of how cozy it is right now between Russian President Vladimir Putin and Iranian President Hassan Rouhani. You know, they have engaged in nuclear deals, in arms deals. In fact, Within the last two years, Russia and Iran has entered into a $10 billion arms deal. I read this one article that talked about how it recently delivered its advanced S-300 missile defense system to Iran after years of debate over the purchase and warnings from the United States, but nevertheless, it, it happened. In the last couple of years, Russia and Iran negotiated a $10 billion arms deal, allowing Iran to purchase T-90 tanks, artillery systems, and aircraft from Moscow that are expected to keep the Islamic Republic fully armed over the next several years. So Iran will become fully armed over the next few years solely by the aid of Russia, to say nothing of the assistance in terms of nuclear capability. Russian National Security Council Secretary Nikolai Petrushev recently said this, quote, In the context of the statements made by our partners with regard to a major regional power, namely Iran, I would like to say the following. Iran has always been, which isn't really true, has always been and remains our ally and partner with which we are consistently developing relations both on bilateral basis and within multilateral formats. According to Alexei Pushkov, a member of the upper house of Russian legislature and close ally of President Vladimir Putin, Russia and Iran have created, quote, a durable alliance. He described Russia-Iran relations as, quote, a partnership which can evolve into a strategic relationship. So it's happening. Now, a little personal political commentary at this moment. I think that the Iran nuclear deal was a disaster. I'm thankful that our president, President Trump, withdrew the United States from that Iranian deal that was made in 2015. I think it's good for us to get out of that deal. But I also believe that the unintended consequence of that has pushed Iran and Russia closer together. Because now Iran has gone into the arms of Russia even more so. And I mean that literally and I mean that figuratively. They've gone into the arms of Russia. Russia's held their arms out for a big hug of Iran. 
And they've gone literally in the sense that now they are relying even more on arms, armament from Russia than they ever have before. The sanctions imposed by the United States on Iran, again, I think are good. I just think that the unintended consequences are that we're going to see this line up even more, what Ezekiel is talking about here. This Russian-Iranian alliance, where they're going to become even closer allies as the United States pushes against both of them. So this is what's happening. We're seeing all of this emerging in our lifetime. Now, in just this past summer, June of 2019, at the end of June, Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, called a trilateral summit in Jerusalem with Russia, Israel, and the United States, trying to coax Russia away from Iran. It was not successful, but in the middle of this trilateral summit, this is what Prime Minister Netanyahu said, quote, Israel will not allow Iran, which calls for our destruction, to establish itself on our border and will do all we can to prevent it from getting a nuclear weapon, end quote. And they will, friends. They will. They will take military action and they may go solo on it, but it's going to happen. So this is all kind of coming to a head. We're seeing some of this all beginning to arrange itself in a way that aligns with biblical prophecy. I'm always cautious to say, that this is exactly what it is, you know, because I'm reminded even in our own history, when during World War II, the church was convinced that Hitler was the Antichrist and Mussolini was the false prophet. And when they saw panzer tanks lining up against their churches, Christians thought, well, the rapture is going to come. And then that didn't happen. So it's dangerous sometimes to always look at, you know, world events and say, this must mean this. But I think it's prudent for us to at least recognize what is happening in our day and see that it is very, very similar to some of the things that Ezekiel is prophesying about here in chapter 38. If you look further in chapter 38 in verse 5, we see other nations that align with this Russia-Iranian alliance. We see Ethiopia mentioned in verse 5. Some of your Bibles use the ancient Hebrew name Cush. We're talking about Ethiopia. That's also the region of northern Sudan. Ethiopia, according to the U.S. State Department, is 45% Sunni Muslim, and northern Sudan is uh, 70% Sunni Muslim. And then also joining Ethiopia is Libya, or some of your Bibles use the ancient Hebrew name Put. Libya is 97% Sunni Muslim. In other words, this represents the Islamic states of the Upper Nile region of Africa that will converge against Israel. And joining them in verse 6... Gomer and Togarma. Now, those of you who hearken back to the Andy Griffith days, don't get Gomer in your head that way. Golly, this is instead talking about East. Some of you young are like, what's that? Just Google it. You'll laugh. Gomer in biblical prophecy represents Eastern Europe. We're talking Germany and Poland. And Togarma is modern day Turkey and the area also that would include Armenia and Georgia. And so these nations converge. This Russian-Iranian alliance is going to be joined by Ethiopia and northern Sudan and Turkey and Georgia and Armenia and Germany and Poland. They're going to converge. But then, in verse 13 here of the same chapter, there will be a few nations that question them. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you coming against Israel? And among them listed here, verse 13, Sheba and Dedan. Now, Sheba and Dedan always go together in the Bible, and they are a reference to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is going to rise up and say, why are you guys converging against Israel? It's very interesting. You know, what's their stake in it that they would actually question? And along with them 
questioning this is Tarshish. Now, where exactly is Tarshish located? Herodotus, the ancient historian, said that Tarshish was located beyond the pillars of Hercules. What are the pillars of Hercules? The pillars of Hercules were the rock formation that formed the entrance to the Mediterranean Sea, otherwise known as the Strait of Gibraltar. So Herodotus said that Tarshish was out of the Mediterranean Sea into the Atlantic. Most Bible scholars believe Tarshish is a reference to England. And in addition to England and joining Saudi Arabia, it also mentions in verse 13, the merchants of Tarshish and all her young lions, a part of questioning this military campaign. What is the national symbol for England? It's a lion. And there's actually three, but the animal that is the national symbol is a lion. And so the young lions with Tarshish is probably a reference to British territories. Now, this may be... And I say maybe, because we don't know, this may be the only veiled reference to the United States, seeing as how we once were a British colony before the American Revolutionary War. Otherwise, there's no mention of the United States. Have you ever wondered, where does the U.S. fall in biblical prophecy? We're not really mentioned, friends. This may be the only veiled reference. And it might be, because some scholars believe, that all of these events begin to transpire right around the time of the rapture. And so when Christians are snatched from the earth... What will be the population of the United States? What will be the military force of the United States? What will be the executive branch, legislative, judicial branch of the United States if, in fact, Christians are taken, raptured from the earth? We might be rendered not a world power. When you can imagine tens of thousands of Christians instantly leaving the United States, being taken to heaven as Christians, perhaps we're not mentioned in biblical prophecy because we're not a formidable force at that point. Who really knows? There are other missing players in this campaign here. There's no mention of Egypt. There's no mention of Jordan. There's no mention of Syria. That might be because since 1979, Egypt has had a peace treaty with Israel. In fact, when Egypt entered into a peace treaty with Israel in 1979, the Arab League of Nations kicked them out. They brought them back 10 years later in 1989. But Egypt has maintained peaceful accord in relations with Israel. Jordan in the same way. 1994, Jordan entered into a peace treaty with Israel. Could it be for those reasons that they're not mentioned here as a force against Israel? Syria may, in fact, be out of the picture because they've been rendered helpless and useless. In Isaiah 17, verse 1, and again in verse 4, Isaiah prophesies about the day that Damascus will be a heap of ruins. So perhaps that's already happened at this point. So Saudi Arabia, England, perhaps even the U.S. will question why these nations are converging against Israel, but none will come to Israel's aid. Nobody, not any nations at least, except one, and that is the Lord. The Lord, Psalms 121 verse 4 says, Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The truth is Israel doesn't need any nations to come to her defense. Because the Lord is her defense. And the Lord will rise up and defend His nation and His name for His glory. And all of this culminates here in the Battle of Armageddon. And so, between verses 18 and 23, at the end of Ezekiel 38, there's this description here against Gog and God's judgment that is going to come against these nations And I just want to read verses 18 to 23 again. I'm going to ask you to underline certain words, and then I'm going to compare it with Revelation 16, which is the only place where Armageddon is actually mentioned. But first, look again here at verses 18 to 23. 
And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, underline that word, I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake, underline great earthquake, in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, underline that. The steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence, underline that, and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, underline that, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Quickly turn to the end of your Bibles, Revelation chapter 16. I'm almost done, but I want you to see the comparison between Revelation 16 and what we just read there at the end of Ezekiel 38. Revelation 16. This again is the only place where the word Armageddon is mentioned in all of the Bible. It's Revelation 16, verse 16. The verses leading up to it tell us that kings from the east will also come and join forces with the nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 to come against Israel. So kings from the east, we're talking China, Japan, Korea, we're talking Pakistan, Afghanistan, India, the whole Pacific Rim is going to join forces with these other nations and they will converge against Israel. Now, some Bible scholars interpret the war of Ezekiel 38 and the war of Revelation 16 as two distinct wars. I believe instead, when you notice the similarities between Revelation 16 and what I just read at the end of Ezekiel 38, that in fact what actually ends up happening is these two forces merge. That you have all of these nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 at the beginning of the tribulation, but they wage a campaign against Israel, and then it culminates with this battle of Armageddon where they are joined by these other kings from the east. Okay, now notice the similarities here in Revelation 16, starting at verse 16. And they gathered them together to the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. And then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was, here's a similarity, a great earthquake. Such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. That's another word that you underlined. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. That's something else Ezekiel 38 said. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone, that was also in Ezekiel 38, about the weight of a talent. Look at me for a minute. The weight of a talent, a hundred pounds. Each hailstone. That's going to (laughs) hurt. Your insurance is not going to cover that dent on your car. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail since that plague or pestilence, that's also Ezekiel 38, was exceedingly great. So you have all these similarities. Ezekiel talks about great earthquake, talks about the wrath of God. He talks about hailstone. He talks here about pestilence, plague. The similarities are such that, again, 
I believe what you see unfolding in Ezekiel 38 is the beginning of the military campaign. It culminates in the battle of Armageddon. But here's the hope for the church. If you're still in Revelation, look over to chapter 19. We'll bring it to a close. Chapter 19. Because you see here, the Lord returns and he strikes down these nations that have come against him and have come against Israel. In Revelation 19 verse 11, John writes, Now I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. This is the church returning with him. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he will return and he will put an end to this battle. And he will display his power and his glory for all to see, which is how Ezekiel 38 ends. And I'll just recite it again. Ezekiel 38 verse 23 ends with this. Thus, God says, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. Amen and amen. God's ultimate purpose in all of the Bible is that people might know him. And sometimes he has to reveal himself in serious ways to get our attention. You might think to yourself, well, that's kind of an odd way of God getting people to know him by, you know, putting an end to this war and striking down the nations at the Battle of Armageddon. But listen to me on this. When nations are in full throttle opposition to God, God has to display his power and might greater than the opposition against him. It's like this. The harder you hit your head against a brick wall, the more it hurts. And that's the way it is with God. The harder you oppose him, the more it hurts. But God will display himself and all of his power and all of his glory so that people might know him. See, there's no reason why you and I should fear the imminent return of the Lord. You and I shouldn't be afraid of the battle of Armageddon. Frankly, the way that I see Scripture and the timeline of events unfolding prophetically, I don't think we'll be here for the Battle of Armageddon. When you look at the timeline of events, I think the church is raptured before this climactic battle. And so we're going to be kept safely in heaven, and we are the ones clothed in white that return with the Lord in this great battle, and we fight on His behalf and for His glory, although He doesn't need us, but you know, by the power of His breath, He will overthrow the armies that are opposed to Him. But we return with Him because we've been kept safely in heaven because of the rapture, or when we die knowing Christ, we've already gone to heaven. The final deal is this. It's not about being afraid or worried. It's about being ready. And I leave us with these words of Jesus from Luke chapter 21, verse 28. He just reminded us, he says, when you see all these things begin to happen, he said, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. And so these things should stir our hearts to cause us to ask ourselves, am I ready? Am I right with the Lord so that in that there's no fear of what's going to happen? Listen, we know this, right? The world's getting crazy and it's going to get crazier still and crazier still again. And Jesus is going to come 
and we're going to be with him forever and ever. And when he returns again, he's going to establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. And then after that, there's the new heaven and a new earth, and we shall be with him forever. Next week, you see, Ezekiel closes out with a study about the millennial kingdom when Christ comes on earth for a thousand years. So that's next week's study. But for today, lift up your heads and look up. Your redemption is near. May your hope be in the Lord, our maker, our helper, right? Know him. Be right with him. Then you don't have to be afraid of what is to come. We can rest in the Lord God Almighty. That's all we have time for today. Our study through the book of Ezekiel is not complete, and there's more to gain from this complex book of prophecy. We're so thankful that you've joined us to understand the Word more. We trust Cornerstone Connection is a blessing to you. Pastor Gary has more to share from Ezekiel, but for now, you can explore his teachings on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find a list of messages available under the Teachings tab, and feel free to download them. We have a mobile app as well. Just click On The Go. This is a convenient way to take the Word with you wherever you might be. If you happen to live in the Leesburg area, we want to meet you. We have several weekend services at Cornerstone Chapel, where we spend time in worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Look for service times under the About tab on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you live further away and can't make it to one of our services in person, come join us virtually. We live stream each gathering on our website. Well, our time is up for today, but thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll join us again next time when we continue studying through the book of Ezekiel with Pastor Gary right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know